PSG reviewed the show recovering from Le Classique and a full week of media furor feeling like a former coach. Je suis fatigué. The show rejuvenated while undefeated. It's not always easy, but uh, when the media hype dies down, the results aren't too bad and that is worth celebrating. My name is Mikko and what a show we have for you today. Of course, we talk about Le Classique against our domestic nemesis Marseille. That is coming up soon enough. We cover PSG women who are back from the international break as well as some smaller subjects like what is the deal with Xavi Simons and does it have anything to do with PSG anymore and you know it would be difficult to talk about PSG without looking into all the scandals of the last week and the catharsis of Sunday night. That's Kylian Pape saying he has never asked to leave in January and that is the backdrop for this circus we have now witnessed. So much has happened. Once again, we try to make sense of it all, not just by running through the reporting of it and what has been said, but also, and perhaps much more importantly, we look behind and beyond it. What is happening with the media as far as PSG is concerned? It's important to bring in a kind of football media 101 here because of my past as a media lecturer and someone whose job it was to analyze and explain how media works. I would be remiss if I didn't do it here and now when our beloved PSG has been squeezed by the watchdog itself. That's not to say that media should not hold PSG or anyone else for that matter accountable. Quite the opposite. I very strongly advocate for better reporting and journalism and not just cynical clickbait and meaningless media spectacle because the spectacle created by the media of this situation is very different from the experience in the locker room or in the boardroom of PSG and we are here trying to navigate it so let's have a look. The recent allegations made by media part are that uh, PSG had paid for a company for and I quote an army of social media troll accounts. It's a fairly wake yet very grand sounding term army that seems to be nonchalantly thrown in without much elaboration. This was a huge scandal last week for like a one afternoon perhaps perhaps a few days but it's been fizzling out ever since but I never quite um, got the full answer to the question that what is the definition of an army in this context. One of the allegations in the article was that these trolls would have been targeting some journalists, staff members like Andero Henrique and even Kylian Bappe. And the story continues that this would be one of the reasons why he would like to leave the club and that he would even look into terminating his contract. The club responded, again I quote, we spent the last year renewing Bappe with the biggest contract in the sport and involving President Macron. And you think that at the same time we were trolling him. That was PSG's answer and we already heard Bappe himself denying, not this story of course, but the fact that he had would have asked to leave, which was a subsequent rumor after this after this report about this, uh, this alleged uh, social media troll army. And also um, Bappe's mother, Faisal Lamari, it's also said that this has not been the case, that Mbappe has been uh, looking for a way out. So this is where we also need to pull the brake here and slow significantly down. We don't know the precise truth and it's always good to remember that it 
It's not Mbappe's job to tell the truth here. He might be telling it, but it's not his job or even moral obligation. Just like I don't necessarily think that this kind of thing is morally beyond professional football club like PSG, a huge corporation that it is. But these are big allegations. And what tends to happen is that these things are thrown at PSG perhaps also other clubs. We are here talking about PSG with certain vigor. And then afterwards, when you look at it, very few of these allegations stick. So we are kind of waiting to see how this is going to develop this particular story. And it seems that there could have been something, but to extend of that, that is completely another thing. And and what is the significance, to what extent these things have been happening and so, so on. That's something that is less clear at this point, because there are also legitimate social media strategies. I mean, this is a very powerful tool at the moment, and it is being used. It would be very naive to think that it's not being used. So this might stick. This might end up being like a big thing. I don't know. I doubt that it will. But if we look at the timing of it all, this last week with all the other rumors around Pappes and happiness in Paris, there was Champions League, Le Classique, which we will talk about soon enough. It's all a bit sketchy. It seems not by an accident. And of course, because this keeps on happening over and over and over again, it's very difficult for us to believe that it is by accident. And the evidence, well... It remains to be seen. It could be great, but I would not bet my home on it either. And I'm speaking generally here, not necessarily even about this particular thing, because it's very difficult to talk about a specific incident and event like this media part thing, because I don't have the specific in my hands, simply because I don't know them. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I know them because I don't know them. So let's look at these things more in general. Let's look at these things briefly and more in general terms, how are these articles that come from various leaks or even whistleblowers, how are they born and what is behind them? Uh, Let's look at them from a sensible viewpoint. Pragmatically speaking, what is the process of it all? That's not to discredit the sources, anonymous or otherwise, because in the bigger and more important news stories of global significance, they are very, very important ways to keep the powerful accountable. That is why they are also so incredibly demonized there. But in sports, this is a side of distractions when it comes to media. So we are not quite in the same bracket either. Sometimes there can be a new story where a league is going to um, lead into something very significant. But otherwise, you know, for better or worse, we're kind of talking about gossip here, if we are being quite honest. It's a nice uh, soap opera, but at the end of the day, it is a little bit of a soap opera. I love it. Uh, A lot of news from football. They come from locker room contacts, someone close to the player or the family or some other insider. These people... They have their reasons to leak these stories, whatever stories they are leaking at any given time, whatever bits of information, maybe they are giving a confirmation or denial to some rumors. And sometimes the motivation for this kind of activity, for leaking anything, could be money or some other benefit, some other advantage that it brings the person who is leaking the information. Sometimes it can be also revenge and sometimes it can just be strategic to some other end. But do you genuinely think that people consistently leak information, betraying their friends, family, employer, fellow humans just for fun? I mean, look them in the eyes and then send a text message to some journalist. Some might do, some might do, but you would have to imagine that the ulterior motives also exist. If it is for money, well, you have to leak something if you need to pay the rent or whatever you need the money for. Uh, Here, I'm not so much talking necessarily about the fellow players, but an organization of this size has a lot of employees of all levels. If you are a 
the mole, so to speak, you are as aware of the importance of content creation as social media influencers are. So, so you do it. It's neither here nor there how accurate it is. You might actually come up with as outrageous stories as you can just to get the most out of it because press doesn't seem too worried either because in this field of sports journalism, I don't know if you have noticed, but the accountability is very close to zero. You can literally say almost anything that is untrue, even hurtful, and still be respected after that as a journalist or commentator. There's a very little backlash in sports journalism for getting it completely wrong. That's just something that I have observed. Look, I, this is not me saying that all these things are automatically lies, because of course, of course they are not. And of course, it wouldn't even make sense for the people who are leaking to just, uh, you know, tell lies, uh, you know, in the long run that would turn against them very much. But let's call them embellishments. Or let's consider the option, you know, that they add some spice into a non-event to make it worthy of a click or two. So if the source exaggerates a little bit, now, then the journalist exaggerates a little bit more and then the copy editor writes a catchy headline for clicks. So we start to be quite far from the original. If the leaking is part of the strategy, well, and I think this is quite commonplace also, you know, it can be something towards your end, like a negotiation, new, new, new contract or, or more, more power in the, in, the, in the organization or whatever it is. Agents and family members can make some information available to the media that will improve the negotiations or just stir some trouble if there's anything to gain from it. And the clubs themselves, of course, you know, or people within them, they can also do that for, you know, more or less the same reasons, to be honest with you. Sometimes even to undermine the position of somebody that they are trying to negotiate with. These things, they happen. I don't think that it's unrealistic. And I'm not saying that this is what has happened now. But it could have been perfectly possible that people close to Mbappe would have leaked some of the rumors to regain the power in the team that they may have felt that he's losing, especially he's been he's not been the PSG's top player this season so far. Uh, this is speculation. I'm just mentioning this in, as an example. And they very much denied this, but I'm just playing with this idea because if even if he would have done it or somebody close to it would have done it in his name, even without this knowledge, but, you know, essentially in his name. I would get that too. I understand. I even if I wouldn't condone it, but here we are. And like said, there are reports that his mother, Faisal Amari, has said that all these news have been grossly exaggerated and that Killian wants to put this behind him and play football in the post-match interview. He said as much himself, as we just heard a moment ago. But we get back into a hypothetical just to highlight the issue. If it is the revenge that motivates the leak, the same thing applies more or less as with strategic leak. It varies why it is done. I think there have been many reasons, but sometimes people have some some issues uh, that they they want to address, and this is one way of doing it. But my point is, the inside information from sources close to the player, close to the club, close to the locker room, they are not neutral. It's not objective. There are reasons why they exist. There are reasons why the leaker, as anonymous as they may remain, and perhaps they should remain, they don't expect a Pulitzer Prize or Freedom of Speech Medal. There are other benefits in this for them. 
as I was talking about this online. My friend and another founding member of our PSG fan club here in Helsinki, Frederick, remind me how usually the players who consistently get better L'Equipe match ratings than they deserve look the most suspicious. And that is very true, of course, of course. Of course, it also might be the guy picking the towels for laundry as well, although their access is a little bit more limited, of course. Anyway, it did bring a smile to my face, the the old um, L'Equipe ratings example. It is very true. So the motives, they are what they are. They vary, but uh, they do always exist. And we also need to remember that the media is creating a spectacle around even smaller incidents, which come and go. Something doesn't necessarily mean anything, but they kind of embellish it. And then all of a sudden it means something even for one afternoon. They lead us in this way by defining what the topics of the conversations are. I'm here talking about things that media has thrown at me. Well, all of us. But I am addressing the matters that they have chosen. Even if I'm looking into them in a in a way that I'm trying to see behind them, even if I'm kind of like questioning their validity sometimes, and I'm not categorically questioning their validity, I'm just, you know, asking questions about them and thinking around them. But nevertheless, They have decided what I'm thinking about. They have decided what I, as a PSG supporter, talk about this week. That is the way that it works. And it is quite exhausting sometimes. So it is also good to sometimes stop, breathe and analyze the situation. That's what I'm trying to do here. At the same time, the bad news that don't stick or if they don't lead into any irreparable damage, those might end up benefiting the club or the players. That's not the case with PSG very often, but it's technically possible. Arguably, you could say that in all these recent scandals, they have had more negative impact on Kylian Pappé's reputation than of, of the reputation of PSG. Right now, there are very powerful undercurrents also to discredit Pappé. I would argue that those have nothing to do with PSG. After all, he has just said no to Real Madrid and caused some grievances within the national team with the image rights, contracts and so on. No one called him egomaniac last spring. Now it's a standard practice after he said no to Real Madrid. So I'm kind of very, mm, a little bit more conservative about this Mbappe hate train that people are jumping onto. <laughs> well, I am because I don't hate him because I I, I, I su- support him and I support first and foremost PSG. But the, but the point that I'm making here is that we need to be very aware that there are also these powerful undercurrents that are trying to take the story to a specific direction. And in, at the moment, that direction is that Mbappe is an ecomaniacal borderline, you know, crazy person who just demands, 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 is like a spoiled child who has never heard no. And on top of that, uh, compared to how amazingly well Holland is doing, he's not doing as well. So this is a media narrative that is taking place. It's part of a bigger conversation, which kind of comes back to this whole messy Ronaldo. So now they need to replace it with Mbappe and Holland. So whatever happens is kind of like connected to that some way anyway. But when it comes to these media part allegations, well, we'll we'll see how topical they remain or will they also wash away with November rains as the world gears towards the World Cup. And if they do, perhaps there was never too much in them. Who knows? It could happen even sooner now already in October, but they can also stick and we might talk about them in years to come. You never know how defining moment of history you are witnessing right now. To quote Søren Kierkegaard, Life can only be understood by looking backward, 
but it must be lived looking forward. What better way to come back on earth than to quote 19th century Danish existential philosopher, uh, if not, why not, the one person whose job it is to answer to all these questions more than anyone else, and that is actually on top of one of the most demanding job in this whole endeavor anyway, is Christophe Caltier. And he's not having it. He essentially told off the press in the media conference before Le Classique. Vous ne parlez jamais football. Vous ne parlez jamais football, vous me posez beaucoup de questions, je m'adresse pas qu'à vous. You never talk to me about football. I'm a coach of PSG, I'm proud of it. Happy, I was very happy when I was appointed and I realized match after match, press conference after press conference that we have to talk about one and a half minutes of football over 10 to 15 minutes of conference and whatever I may say, you don't believe me since you write or say the opposite. When I tell you so-and-so is fine, things are going well in the locker room, that they are getting along, that they are serious professionals, united, nobody's interested. Something else gets written. Kalte must have been surprised by this. It looks like he's had it with this situation and it tells something when a coach who is known for his professionalism and calm demeanor reacts like this his whole career he's been calm and analytical as he is here by the way also but he has had a front row ticket to see how PSG is treated in the media he has been there in the mix coaching the competitors throughout this whole QSI era and even he seems still a little bit taken aback to what extent the pressure is different on the hot seat. And I think this might be it. Perhaps many who are quick to criticize PSG don't quite understand how difficult it is to be there at the helm of it. Now, I understand neutrals and supporters of other clubs will now say, boo-hoo, it must be tough for PSG. And that is my nicer estimation of what they might say right now without the need for parental guidance sticker, and I get it, I fully 100% get it. I don't compare the difficulty in terms of resources, but in terms of pressures, and not just the pressure, pressures in plural, because there are many of them, but it's always the windiest at the top, and that is also fine in many ways, and I'm not complaining, but I'm merely making an observation here that even someone who should have known how it is, like Galtier, seems to be flabbergasted by the treatment of this club, what it is getting in this hands for popular media, how incredibly relentless it is, and the friends on that side are few and far in between. Like I said, if this is something significant, then we have to accept it and deal with it. But if next week or next month the media says, oh, never mind, as they tend to, or rather they just stop talking about it as it never was important to begin with, well, then it's just cheap entertainment that they are selling you. Then again, football, like all sports, is entertainment of its kind, like I was already saying earlier today. It is a kind of a distraction whether we like to hear it or not, but it can also, at best, I would argue that it can be a place, a great place where we learn more about how things work in our societies. I think that football is not at all the worst place to learn media literacy, for instance, if you pay attention because the examples here are so clear. (laughs) It's partially because sports media think that we are idiots. But that, of course, goes to many other aspects of the information industrial complex as well. Today, we seem to dip into some bigger questions as soon as we have started all the time. But let's get back to the entertainment side now. One of the great showdowns of French football took place when a certain Le Classique was played on Sunday night under the floodlights of Parc des Princes. 
Classico, the French Derby, Le Classique, PSG against Olympique de Marseille is the match that gets circulated from the league on calendar first once it's published. Both teams are having a fairly good start for the season, but even if they didn't, even if one was on top of the table and the other one on the bottom, this match rarely lacked intensity. Never that, or, or hostility, if, if nothing else, there's no love lost between the two fan bases even if quite a few players from both sides aren't too connected to the rivalry as such, not on kind of visceral level, they know it's worse, but it feels that from year to year, it is losing a little bit of something. But uh, this was a good one. This was a very good match. I don't generally say nice things about Marseille. That's not what this podcast is for. It is a team I don't wish well, but uh, they clearly have an interesting team for once after a long time of just trying to create a disturbance, it felt they had a little bit more coherence and they have benefited from not having the worst troublemakers and hotheads on the pitch, having gotten rid of racist Alvaro Gonzalez, who was just a pounce of bully, and just tidying up the squad in other ways. I think that's enough positive things to say about them. Now, let's not get carried away. PSG started the match with the new formation. Well, actually, it's the old one. But it's the new one for this season, for Caltier era. It's the, it's the first time that we were playing with the back four, which enabled us to have three midfielders. Fabian Ruiz was there with Verratini as Verratti and Vitini have come to be known sometimes. This worked pretty well, I think. And Danilo was defending a centre-back with Marquinhos and Benat and Hakimi were the full backs. Hakim isn't really having the best time currently. And I will also say that neither is Benat, who isn't quite quick enough to track back uh, this fast-paced uh, French uh, league on wingers and, and wingbacks. You know, this was not one of his best matches. It wasn't a catastrophic failure, of course, but uh, I think that uh, he is one of the players, Benat, who is giving me the most stress during this match. I would say, can't wait to have Nuno Mendes back on the squad. All in all, this was a great game, quite a fun match to watch with a lot of great opportunities and positive play. Not too many acts of aggression if we set aside the red card for the visitors in the second half. It was a kind of studs up late challenge that Neymar managed to avoid so he can go to the World Cup, but it could have gone the other way also if he was a little bit later to react. He was able to escape it pretty well, but it was uh, one of those that was quite nasty. Bad, much worse things could have happened in the end nothing too bad happened but uh, but it was a very reckless challenge a kind of pointless and stupid thing on the in the midfield area you know why do it clearly Marseille somewhere Gijot had some plan as he launched this assault on our number 10 I don't know very cynical stuff but luck was on our side this time and no injuries only red card for Marseille the only injury that we did have was Danilo. It was a little bit unlucky. We wait to hear what his diagnosis is. Hopefully he can be back in business soon enough. A lot of great chances throughout the match. That much is clear. Messi had an amazing free kick and this was something from the training ground. I really enjoyed it tremendously as our players were sort of bouncing around in the box in front of Paulo Lopez, the OM keeper, and Messi smashed his attempt top bar. Very nearly a goal there to remember. And on top of that, Hakimi, Neymar, Messi, Mbappe. Uh, I feel even uncharacteristically Verratti tested the keeper, but he was also having a good match himself. The, the only goal was before the halftime as Mbappe passed the ball to his sworn enemy and nemesis, if the media is to be believed. 
I'm not saying that it is, but if the media is to be believed, Neymar, uh, he put the ball in and somehow all of them were celebrating together joyously, despite, like I said, according to the media, hating each other's. It's almost like media has been making up stories that aren't entirely true. It's almost like while we admit that human relationships are complex and have better and worse days and times, the press has gotten this entirely wrong while leaning heavily on exaggerations instead of what is actually happening. The match ended up 1-0 for us, leaving us undefeated on top of the league and dropping Marseille to fourth, which is nice. It's a nice thing to me. I think it could have been 5-0. It could have been also 1-1. I take the three points anyway, and we keep things moving to the next round of League on. A few take-home messages from this match. Clement Trapan had a good match refereeing, and I feel he has matured a lot in this job in the last couple of years. He used to also enjoy the limelight a, a bit too much, but now he's doing a good job controlling the match. He's actually... Good, uh, good referee. I, I, I feel like he has uh, less to prove, and and he's just doing uh, good work. It's, it's not a question of agreeing with every decision he makes, but he had his line and he stuck to it. It was refreshing to see after all the uh, the the shambles of of league on refereeing that we have seen this season. Marquinhos still has never lost Le Classique, and Verratti just played his twentieth of them. He said in the post match interview that. One time he did lose out of those 20. He felt so bad that he doesn't want to do it ever again. So there you have it. The biggest team in France, like it or not, Paris Saint-Germain. A quick note here, the specifics of Savi Simons' situation have been reported now in the press. Simons has been playing for PSV Eindhoven in the Dutch Eredivisie, becoming something of a sensation there, which I'm sure doesn't really surprise many of us. Player of a month in August already as soon as started. Last summer, his PSG contract was up after having been underutilized by Pochettino, to put it politely, and the word on the street seemed to be that he could extend in Paris. I wasn't quite sure why he would do that, but that was the rumor that he would extend in Paris and then go directly on loan to PSV. What happened, a little bit to all of our surprise, is that he in fact didn't extend in Paris, but signed a permanent deal in Eredivisie with PSV. Well, surprise is a strong word, perhaps more than being surprised we, or certainly I, was hoping against it. Later on, it was reported that Gini Wijnaldum had been whispering advice to his ear about this to sort of further taint his non-existent contribution to PSG, which I don't even entirely blame him for, but it wasn't great. PSV is, of course, Wijnaldum's former club, his last one in the Netherlands, and its manager, Ruud van Nistelrooy, is his friend, so there we go. Five-year contract for them, but only with one caveat. And that is, to the best of my understanding, something along these lines. For the next summer only, 2023, PSG can sign him back if mutually agreed for some between 10 to 12 million euros. But like said, only next summer, and it requires both parties to be willing. So PSG has to make an offer to him that he cannot refuse. He can be a starter on a good level elsewhere where he can develop. So I can't imagine him wanting to come back to Paris to sit on the bench anymore. Will we have a starter position ready for him as soon as that next summer? It's a good question. Of course, PSG will also want to make his circumstances such that he will stay for a few more years with them and then be sold for 100 million euros or some such amount. I mean, 
This is what I imagine. So if this is the case, it might be that Xavi isn't coming back. I would consider it very unlikely and barring a happy surprise, I'm making peace with the possibility that he has played all his matches for us. Unless it is us, of course, who paid that 100 million in a few years, of course. But that's a separate matter then. That is also something I could see happening. It would somehow feel like an obvious option, actually considering how badly these things have been going in the past. But then again, Campos is a bit of a magic man, so you never know what kind of rabbit he pulls out of his hat. Another young, and at least in my opinion, interesting player we need to say one or two words about is Timote Bembele. Bembele, of course, our academy graduate, a solid defensive option especially on the right flank either as a wing back or full back depending on the formation he has also played in the central defense but that is not primarily where I would place him he was on loan last season in Bordeaux playing pretty well despite the club having an abysmal season which led them to Ligue 2 but towards the end of the season Bembele suffered a big injury missed the transfer window entirely and now is working himself back to fitness as one of our players and he's not far from it It's not far from the fitness. Granted, he could move on in January, either on loan or permanently, although after such a serious injury, it might be a bit soon, but I generally rate him as a solid option there. So it's a name not to forget. What will happen to him? We don't know, but I wish him the very best. PSG women were back from the international break against Dijon, which is a team towards the bottom of the league below mid-table and a nice win, 3-1 and the end with goals by Lika Martens from a wonderful Jackie Cronin assist. All that's combination, all new players for this season for PSG. Then there was a goal by Gras Gioro from Ashley Lawrence assist and finally Gioro assisted a goal for Ramona Bachmann. This was business as usual, despite the goal conceded, this was always going to be a match to win. That is the expectation, and indeed, that was the result that we got. An important talking points for PSG right now with women's team uh, are the injuries. I hate to say it, Maria Antonet Catota still injured and will miss sort of first half of the season. Polina Dudek wrecked her ACL and she's out. And Borbora Votikova, our goalkeeper, is slowly but hopefully surely making her way back into the squad from her ACL injury operation. And if you ask me, we need her in goal because our newly recruited former OL keeper Sarah Puhadi has not been performing very well at all, despite all of her past accolades. I don't think she's ever really been an amazing keeper. She was just in a great team. So to get her to Paris after years of intense rivalry towards the end of her career was a baffling choice by I can only imagine by the coach Gerard Brasher, who was coaching her also in OL as well. I will give you that. This goal by Dijon against her was just a great goal. But other than that, she has not been on that level. We have other keepers too, and I feel we should rather have them while waiting for Votikova, who is a decent keeper, or certainly she was a good keeper before the injury and operation. So I trust she will be that once again. Is she world-class? And no, she's not world-class, not at this point, certainly, but she's a solid keeper and Buhadi could line up all of her Champions League trophies and all of the other medals on the goal line. There would hardly be any room for the ball to go in and still she would struggle to keep it out, it seems. It's a very bizarre situation, in my opinion, and not just in my opinion, actually, our former PSG player, Eric Rabesandratana, was tweeting about it. He posted some of the more ridiculous goals conceded on Twitter, asking why was she recruited, because he can't understand. Yeah, me and you both, Eric, 
but it is what it is. More peculiar than the fact that she was hired is that she is indeed our starter because of her. We have already dropped domestic points, which makes the title hopes an uphill battle, but Champions League, which starts imminently, we need a miracle from her. I'm not pessimist by nature, but this won't be easy. Yes, the Women's Champions League group stage will start this Thursday for PSG against the defending English champions Chelsea. It won't be easy one that match, not at all, but not an impossible either, despite the injuries, which are the biggest issue at the moment. But we are going to need a great match by the whole team, including the goalkeeper or otherwise. It will be a very long evening, potentially. Good luck to the team, but I do have some questions to ask about our squad selections. Actually, beside Buadi's situation, my questions would be, when will Watikova be back? Do we have an estimated day? Was Marina Georgieva, an Austrian international, not good enough? Why is she not playing even in the absence of Dudek? And finally, who is our captain? Do we have one or is it selected separately for each match? These are the questions I'm looking an answer for when it comes to PSG women's team. But like said, I wish them the world of luck in the Champions League as well as in the French one. Finding the joy to play well will go a long way. And who knows, perhaps even Buhadi will fix up her focus and give us at least mediocrity, if not greatness. Thank you so much for listening. Always a pleasure to spend this moment with you. If you have made it this far, why not go rate, review, like, share and subscribe so you get the latest episodes as they are coming. Right now, a small breather, which is a way to say that there's no midweek match and up next is Ajaxo, which is a trip to Corsica in real terms. And after that, a must-win home match against Maccabi Haifa. All in all, we have two Champions League matches and four league on ones before the World Cup. Things are really crammed up this season, but such is the time we live in. Certainly efficient at the expense of everyone's health, mental or otherwise, but as ever, we do what we can and hope for the best. Hey, thanks. Genuinely. Take care and peace. Peace.